I'm Dan Kane. I'm Sal Conca. And I'm Wayne Heckler. And this is the Imperfect Podcast. Don't forget to check us out at hecklercane.com and download our episodes for free at iTunes and SoundCloud. To the bumper. On the Imperfect Podcast today, the guys are going to be talking to Ray Gutierrez. He is a director and editor with over a decade experience and has recently been the cinematographer on the new film that was just released this past Friday the 13th, Pitchfork. Let's hear from Ray. So here we're back with Ray Gutierrez, director, editor, designer, and cinematographer. Thanks for joining us today, Ray. Hi there. How are you? Thanks for having me. You were the cinematographer on Pitchfork, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually having its debut today on uh, being released on VOD, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Fr- Friday the 13th. How appropriate. How appropriate. Who would have thought it? A horror film on Friday the 13th. It's marketing <laughs> genius. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> we watched the film. We thought it was great. We got tons of questions for you, and we can't wait to yeah, get into yeah. it. Um, okay. So how long have you been making films, and, and what got you into it? Uh, well, making films. God, I, I guess I've just been making films for the last a year and a half, though. Pitchfork would officially be my first feature film. But I've been kind of like slumming it as a music video commercial director for the majority of my life. I've, I've started doing what I'm doing since I was 14. I'm 33 now. And, you know, I grew up as an only kid. I'm an introvert. My grandmother adopted me, and I grew up in Little Havana with my grandma. And I wasn't much into, like, hanging out and doing sports. I just played a lot of video games and just kind of, like, you know, lived in my own little world with my imaginary friends and, you know, obsessed with Power Rangers and Godzilla and, and dudes in suits and watching Ninja Turtles and and I, I wanted to be that. I wanted to create that. And I remember watching Power Rangers and like recreating my own episodes with my own toys and, and having a blast by myself. And then, you know, I was a theater kid, a drama kid. I was a stage nerd. And I, I, I jumped into video production very early on in, in high school. Luckily, I was part of an amazing program uh, in Miami Senior High, right across the street from Elian Gonzalez's house uh, hmm. called Art. Uh, the art tech program and uh, run by Joe Underwood. And he was basically the first man in my life that kicked my ass and said, dude, you've got something special. You know, you don't go to class. You skip, you, 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 you basically hate school, but you skip class and you skip class to, to the TV studio and you're creating awesome shit for, for the morning announcements and you're running around with camera work and you're really inspiring, you know, your, your friends and, and other students, you know, you're, you're onto something. And that sort of rebellious attitude of always being that loner saying, you know, I, I, I can I can just because I'm a Latino and, and, and I was raised in a certain way doesn't mean I'm going to be this person. I'm going to be bigger than that. Like I grew up watching Full House and I'm like, I want that life. <laughs> I I, where's my Uncle Jesse? Damn it. Like, I want his hair. So like, I wanted that. <laughs> nice. So like so to live in San Francisco and, and like and have that reality. And I'm just like, hell yeah. I, I just need my Uncle Jesse. Anywho. Uh, awesome. But yeah, like but like. It, it, it was basically always this rebellious attitude, and that kind of opened a lot of doors for me before I even graduated from high school, barely graduated from high school, with a one, like a 2.1 GPA. Uh, my, 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 back to my professor, he basically said, you know, he, 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 was, he, he was good friends with a big casting director named Ed Arenas. He, he ran Unique Casting, and he's famous for, you know, every, any given Sunday, Bad Boys 2, mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean, and hundreds of music videos and national ads. And he needed a quick favor. Him and Joseph Underwood were good friends, and he needed someone to cut a quick sizzle reel for, you know, uh, for a gift basket at some premiere. And that's how that's how him and I connected. And he he hired me on the spot. And for two long years, you know, I was making 350 bucks every two weeks, but I had access to, you know, 
to 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 music videos and Oliver Stone and like being on the set of Bad Boys 2. And I just got this like like this immersive experience of what the reality of making a movie or running a casting agency, you know, the 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 sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the shit that no one talks about. Like mm-hmm. that's it, it, that's what I grew up, you know, that was my career as as is a filmmaker or as a music video uh, director, commercial director, kind of seeing the nitty gritty of the reality of the magic of, of Hollywood and then kind of taking a step back and saying, cool, I'm glad I had access to that very early on. I'm 21. I live in Miami. You know, I can easily, you know, at this point, do what my other friends are doing, getting married, settling down or barely graduating college. Or I can keep doing this. And, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, at that moment, my grandmother passed away, the woman that raised me. And, and it was just me and her for a very long time. So she willed the house that I grew up in to me, and I finished paying it off. And I spent a majority of my early 20s just kind of exploring music, music videos, and just falling in love like with the Joseph Kahn's, with, you know, with what MTV was back in the 90s, and having that certain look. And it, it, it was always going back to, to video games. Like I was, I grew up playing PlayStation. I grew up playing Super Nintendo. And while my friends were playing, you know, Super Mario, I was playing Out of This World. And while my friends were playing Final Fantasy, I was playing Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted story and, and to, 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 to kind of say, I want to go after it and, 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 and grow up playing Halo. And then after playing Halo, I would put it down and, and obsess over the making of Halo. And I would be so obsessed with God of War and how they made it in Sona Santa Monica. And then to fast forward and somehow find myself living the dream of having this PlayStation tattoo and saying to myself, dude, you spent five years of your life at PlayStation and seeing how the sausage is made there. And you loved it and you hated it. And it was very much kind of like where I was back in my, when I was 17, 18, kind of seeing the dark side of movie making. Now I know what the dark side of making a game is. So it's so it was very appropriate to kind of graduate from this dream reality that I built myself and say, all right, I think I'm ready to make a movie. And but I, I told myself, I don't want to shoot it on a red. I don't want to shoot on these fancy cameras. I don't need I don't need a full crew. I just want to be able to shoot this movie like I shot it if I were a kid back in my in my bedroom. Like I want to be able to just mm-hmm. be flexible, move quickly use familiar equipment, learn how to, and, and at the same time, learn what it is like to be a part of a crew. Like, I'm very prideful about being a loner and doing these projects on my own. I'm sorry, I'm talking your ear off. I'm about to wrap up. But, but it, it's, it, that's, it, it, that's kind of like what's, what I'm really proud about Pitchfork. It's like, it's always been in my DNA and it's been essentially, I, it's, it, I'm still the same kid that plays with his Power Rangers that obsesses about uh, <laughs> Full House. Mm-hmm. And it's just scaled to a bigger level. It's it's not a bigger crew. It's 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 not bigger cameras. It's not more money. It's just heart, ambition, passion, and drive that that motivate me. Well, so that's, that's pretty awesome, much man. About fifteen ten minutes. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's that's perfect, man. We just we just will let you go. I yeah. mean, you know. <laughs> now now it's funny that you say that. You know, you were a loner growing up doing projects on your alone. So it yeah. leads me to this question: As a cinematographer, what is your relationship like with Glenn Douglas Packard, who's the director? Glenn, you know, I recently learned that there's two types of dire- two types of directors. There's there's the directors that understand the technicalities of how to get a shot done. And there's directors that just say, I want this. And then magically a team surrounds that vision and build that shot. Glenn is very much the creative director when it came to Pitchfork. He essentially had a vision for what the higher arch of what 
Pitchfork was. And what was amazing about how we worked and collaborated is that he, he knows I love music video and he knows I just love theater. So we never storyboarded it. Uh, we never, it was essentially, he said, Ray, the, these are the sets, these are the locations. This is basically the structure of the script. And then I took a nosedive and basically started painting out and started vibing the, the space and kind of plotting out a ballpark scenario of where shots should be, where a shot should be, why that shots mean something. And none of these shots were throwaway shots. These shots, most of the shots were never like, just walk in and just get it done. No, 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 no. This person's walking in from the right to the left for a reason. There's an establishing shot. These shots matter to me. Like none of these were throwaway shots like most horror films do these days, which is why I loathe horror films <laughs> for mm -hmm. a version of reason. Um, so he basically said, Ray, play. And that's exactly what I did. And the reason, and the big reason why we just scaled to one camera, six lights, and a very skeleton crew is because I move like a storyboard. I just want wide, tight, tight coverage, move, move, move. And he's jumping in and he's crafting the actors. He's making sure that things are working for him when it comes to the actors and the creative aspect. My job was to essentially say, this is what it's gonna feel like in the lens. But at the same time, I like to fill the lens with as much stuff as I can, like your shot with your guitars in your background, mm -hmm. because I want a nice, full, beautiful shot, which is why even at night, there's some sort of light breaking the shot. There's some sort of activity. There's some sort of sprinkle. Because you don't watch horror movies to see reality. You watch a movie to escape reality. So real nighttime should not just be pitch black. That's boring. Yeah. So yep. yeah, it was pretty. It was a lot of Ray. Here's where I grew up. Here's the house I grew up in. Play. And there's a couple of shots in there that I was very pro that I, that that I kind of kind of nudged in and directed. Like one of my favorite shots was the the the, the Spielberg minute where Pitchfork is outside the door and then the, the, the camera just slowly pans, the Terminator 2 pan, sits on the two windows, and then the actors just play. But the, the scene's playing in front of us. There's no cutaways. And the camera just pans right back to Pitchfork and he's been standing there the entire time. <laughs> Those are my favorite scenes, the big fuck you scenes that I'm like, let the actors play. This is just me just kind of like my little Easter egg saying, Ray's here. <laughs> and then you can kind of tell when Glenn jumps back in. But... Sure. Yeah. Now, before that, we talk, question. <laughs> sure. Before we talk about some specific shots, what I would like to discuss with sure. you is on location. What was the location for the for that film? That 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 was Glenn's. I I like to call this movie not a, a horror film. I call this an autobiography. <laughs> this is all of Glenn's. This we shot this film where Glenn grew up. This is the Packard farm. Wow. These were all real sets. Uh, that boneyard was literally dug up from one of Glenn's, I guess, I think, cousins' uh, homes. Like, these were all practical sets. None of this was built. These were just friends and favors, and most of it was, you know, Pack Glenn Packard's, you know, uh, uh, family uh, home. How many acres was that on? Do you have any clue? I I, I always screw this up. I, I always throw, like, a like a 40,000 acres, but every time... <laughs> I don't know that's huge, I don't know that's big, but it's a lot. Yes, it, yes, it looked like it. I mean, which which brings us to that first opening shot. Now, was that a drone shot? That was beautiful, just coming over the whole property, the cornfield. Yeah, that I I, I take pride in that shot because I I call that a fuck you shot. That's that's my basically setting setting the tone. Like this is what you're about to see. If I don't capture you in the first shot, then I've lost you. Like I take that philosophy and and, and DJing and producing music as well. If I don't grab you in the first three songs when I'm playing a set, then I've lost you. Uh, yes, that is a that is actually a drone shot played backwards. Nice. I I flew the drone backwards, 
and on the third take, I crashed it. So the opening, the, the, the opening shot was the drone played backwards, flying in and setting in to establish. And the flyback was me crashing the drone before I lost it for about an hour. But it looks so fucking rad to have those blades just cut up crew. That right, we, I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. It did. And I mean, from the opening, the whole opening sequence, I think for me, was my favorite, you know, some of my favorite in the whole movie. I mean, we, we were talking about it before. Uh, I guess we can talk about some specific shots, but there were, you know, all the tight shots on the, the insect and the rat and, you know, the, the very poignant um, call outs to the different animals in, in yeah. that scene. Right. And there was also that one part I Wayne, you noticed it, the smoke in front of her face as she's walking through, you know, I mean, all those details, they're there. Like you said, if you were just shooting reality, you probably wouldn't have had those elements in the shot, right. but because yeah. you guys created a fantasy world and wanted, wanted this to be a real film, not a fan, fantasy is the wrong word, sorry, or, no. <laughs> but you, you know what I'm I getting at. Holistic world, I like to call it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. But um, yeah, all those elements, I mean, I, for us, you know, we noticed them for sure. And, and we, we saw cool. all those things. It was it's really set, cool. It's setting the whole tone for the whole animalistic point of view for right. this film. Right. So right, it right, touches right. that. Very yeah. cool. I'd love to talk about that aspect of the film a little bit too. So how important was, you know, he has this mask, Pitchfork wears this mask, right? And what is that element of animal uh, running? There's a theme that runs through the entire film, right? So how important was that to the story and the, the symbolism of the mask and the other animals that are shot in the film and all that type of stuff? I mean, right, right. When it comes to the creative aspect of, of, of Daniel and his performance with Pitchfork and the design of Pitchfork, I would lean more on Glenn for that because that was basically his vision. Mm -hmm. He always had the vision of what the barbed wire around the wrist, around the Pitchfork should look like. And he also he always envisioned this character for about 10 years ago. Like That's why I always like to call Pitchfork, and if this becomes a trilogy, this is going to become essentially the Packard autobiography. It's almost like uh, Miyamoto-san, the creator of Mario and the creator of uh, Zelda. Th these games only exist because it, it's his reality. Um, uh, so when it comes to the creative process of Pitchfork, I, I would ask Glenn that question. But when it comes to Pitchfork in the frame, I always had this black and white battle because there's a lot of shots where I always envisioned Pitchfork more as a Wolverine, more medicine. He's always crouching. I always thought he looked weak when he was just standing up as a man. So even in the shots where you know he's 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 standing up and you we first reveal Pitchfork in front of the headlights in the van shot with uh, mm -hmm. uh, Rocky and and, and Janelle. Um, what's her character's name in the movie? <laughs> oh, uh, <yeah. laughs> uh, it's funny because I just edited the Red Band trailer. And I showed it. No, uh, what was her name, babe? Janelle. Yeah, what was Janelle's? I it was Janelle. <laughs> Never mind. Forget <laughs> it. Uh, uh, anywho, yeah. I always battled with the fact that I'm like, God, he looks so weak when he's just standing up as a man. But when you really think about it and look at the film, he in reality is still a man. Mm -hmm. But I always leaned on more of the visceral, animalistic nature of the movie, which is why even stylistically, when it's about the humans and it's about the establishing of the family and just talking about, you know, the, the, the soon-to-be meatbags that is the, uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the hunter and his friends, um, uh, I always shot that very clean and locked off and very pretty and vibrant. It was supposed to, it was supposed to make you feel good. Uh, even if you watched a movie on mute, um, which you can, uh, <laughs> you can still visually tell what's happening on screen. And that to me is a huge win. So creatively with Pitchfork, every time there was a Pitchfork scene, I always had the camera handheld. I was always with him. And a good example of that 
is the the cornfield scene where that was probably one of our darkest days shooting. It was a complete disaster. And I think it actually did the film well. We were covered in maggots. There was real, there was no real plan. We just showed up at the cornfield and I basically said, fuck this. I basically grabbed our six lights and created a roadmap around this cornfield. And we had this ma- we had two massive construction lights that I used as my moonlighting. And we set it about a mile or two away. And that's why you have these g- big bloom lights in the distance. Yeah. That's just a construction light that we enhanced with some, some really amazing party city fog. Uh, <laughs> but every time we'd, I, I would lock in with, with Pitch, with Daniel, we would be in sync. We would be this animal. And I feel like his darkest would, was in my favorite scene is the cornfield. Because him and I at that point, we were one. And we wanted to get this fucker. We wanted to kill her. Because not, not, not only because we were vicious and we were serial killers, but because we were having such a dark day. And that was where the movie production just started to turn dark because we actually shot this film uh, chronologically. So we were all happy and loving each other in the beginning of this film. And halfway through that month, we took it took us 30 days to film this, just relentless every single day and night to shoot this. Mm-hmm. That halfway point, I shut off. I stopped talking to people. I started going dark and I think it actually helped the film. And, and that's how I can talk to Pitchfork creatively where you can see how I treat the camera and how I treat the, the, the canvas when I'm locked in as, as Pitchfork. Uh, but when it comes to Pitchfork, I would lean on Glenn as more of the vision. It's always been his baby. And there's a lot of contrast in the film as well. I mean, I think from the opening sequence, there's so much brightness, right? When the, when the, mm-hmm. when the crew arrives at the farm, I mean, just the way the, the sky and the color. What camera did you guys use to shoot on? I, I'm not even shitting you. That was just a Sony a7S okay. with a rig to a Shogun. And I just primarily used Zeiss lenses. That was a 35. That I was bouncing between a 35 and 85, a 10. That was pretty much it. And when I would call out lenses, it was just give me the wide, give me the prime, and give me, give me the 35. We, I basically just stuck to three lenses. And that's kind of what I pride myself in. I, I basically set, set my rules. I, I disciplined myself. I said, no, Ray, only six lights. You, 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 I want you, I want to be able to remove my air, my, my food, my, my oxygen. And if I can still survive, I can shoot this thing. Mm-hmm. And I, in those opening shots, I, I needed to say as a DP beyond what you were seeing, I wanted people to, to have this moment like you did to just take it all in and say, is this really an independent film? Like the, the I kid you not, I can send you the, the PDF link of what the rental of whatever rental careers, uh, like lensrentals.com. <laughs> it's it's two page PDF. It was under $15,000. That was all we used to sh- for gear. Mm-hmm. And then I had myself, which I did it for free because I was a partner in the film. I literally shot this movie for free. Quit my, quit my dream job at PlayStation <laughs> to wow. shoot this movie because Glenn and Daryl, the executive producer said, we'll make you a partner. And I put my heart and soul into this film. And then I, I basically delivered the rough cut November 11th, 2015. And then Kristen and Glenn took the film and molded it and cut it to what it is today. And, and it's amazing. I remember watching the premiere of the film drunk because I was afraid of what I was about to see. <laughs> and when I first watched it in, on my TV here, in the comfort of my own home, back to my, my home, my, back to my security, back to my being a loner, I truly enjoyed the film for what it was. And it was just, it was a mind fuck. It was just like, holy shit, I'm proud of this. And the fact that you guys can connect with what I'm shooting with how little and you guys get it, I can talk to you guys for hours about this because <laughs> it doesn't require I, I love I love the guys with the big cameras. I love the reds, I love the big toys, but I'm just like, dude, like just give me an iPhone. Just give me a 
iPhone. See, and we're and missing our uh, we're missing our other partner, Joe. He's not here today. We're usually a Where's four- Joe? Bring Joe. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's down in Florida. He's our gear guy, so he's right the on. one that always wants the bigger, badder cameras and all that stuff. And I and keep I telling him we don't need it. That. I need a Joe in my life because I'm I'm the fruity tooty that just wants to create and tell a story nice. and just give me anything. I just I can make it happen. And that was kind of like my big fuck you, like to just. Not to Joe. I love you, Joe. But that, that's just my big protest to like these big YouTube creators that are just doing these amazing thing with their, things with their YouTube channels. And they're blowing all this money on all this gear. And I'm just like, dudes, you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Like you can be storytellers and you can do these amazing things and, and, and you're not. And it drives me insane, which is why like, I take every opportunity that I can, especially working at Patreon, like the head video of Patreon. Fuck yeah. Like, I want to inspire as many creators and tell them, you don't need the big Hollywood guys. You don't need some dude in San Francisco with VC money to say, make me more money. Yep. You can make this on your own. All you need is some drive, some passion, and, like, just the right attitude and the right confidence channeled in the right spot at the right time. Exactly. So, I mean, you just mentioned, so you're right, you leave this great gig at Sony uh, to go make a film. How did, how did you how did you connect with uh, with Glenn and and and? David. I've, I've actually known Glenn for close to 10 years. Him and I met back in Miami when I was living out there. And I was, I shit you not, I was 195 pounds. I let myself go. Like, you, what, you know, I was in my early 20s. I, I, I had my house. I was making cool shit. I was living the life. And I, I was playing Call of Duty. Xbox 360 came out. And I was just gaining weight. I didn't care. And when I met Glenn, it was just like, he basically showed me a reality of it's like, Ray you have the ability to do these pop music videos with me. You have access to these amazing dancers, amazing choreographers, amazing music producers, you know, and all you have to do is like just flip the switch and get in gear and be hungry again. And that's exactly what happened. And one of our first projects, uh, it's called The Knockouts. It's a live theater burlesque show um, uh, out in, um, what's that racetrack out in Fort Lauderdale? Uh, I know, Dania, the, not Dania. One of those. One of those. It's across. It's across. It's across the Hard Rock. Uh, I'm, fam- I'm familiar. I went to college at UM, U of Miami. Oh, so I'm- fuck yeah! Hell yeah, hurt. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I loved her. I loved the UM in there in the in the in the late '90s, early '80s. The great documentaries on UM back then. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, uh, yeah, man. Him and I met at the right time. Uh, he was basically coming away. He was basically leaving the the world of choreography and kind of diving into the world of directing music videos and basically being more of a mentor. Uh, to to the next generation generation of dancers, which is why the movie looks so pretty beyond the shot. It's the the talent just glows because Glenn has secretly quietly been casting this film for ten plus years, and I'm not an idiot. He's always had me in his back pocket, waiting for the right moment to shoot this film, mm-hmm. and 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 for circumstances beyond that I can talk about the moment that he said, Ray, it's time to shoot this movie, it happened. And I knew I needed to leave everything and stop everything. Because as much as I did love PlayStation, I love being there, I felt that energy that I felt way back when, when he was, when I first met him and said, Ray, we can do this. And it was exactly what I needed. You know, I, I would be at PlayStation for another five years. There's an amazing crew there. Uh, but I, I wanted to do more. And I felt like shooting this movie was the step in that direction. That's funny. You mentioned choreography. So obviously it does have this scene in it, this whole dance scene in the barn. Can you tell us anything about that scene? It was much shorter in the original cut. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it was a very much a throwback to, you know, 80s horror movies and, and, you know, all that type of stuff. I mean, we, 
and but it's it's so but it's so modern at the same time um you know it was a it's definitely a fun scene you know i think there's probably conflicting points of view if it's out of place in the film or not i mean so what are your thoughts what are your thoughts on it i i i actually okay so here's the true story about that whole dance scenes the the there's first of all the original shot the original cut was much shorter and i love the extended version my whole my whole thing with the dancing is that we literally shot that entire scene, the establishing of them, the party, the whole sequence, the arguing, all of that in one night. That's in impressive. Night. That's impressive. That- <laughs> most of these scenes were done in one night, and, it, and it's, I still like. I, I'm pretty sure the reason why I've lost most of my hair is because of my favorite movie. <laughs> and 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 I look at that dancing. I'm like, God damn it! I'm like, I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to flex his choreography muscle here. And all we've got is this one shot up, down, left, right. I wish we had a little had a little more time to really dive in dive in there. So I almost feel the reason why people are liking or or disliking this scene is because it, it feels out of place because it's shot out of place on purpose, mm-hmm. and it feels so abrupt just because it 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 was it was always planned to be this uh, vignette of sorts, and because the music license scene and this and that that scene constantly changed. So unfortunately, the original pure vision of what Glenn wanted to do there had to change but i still feel like it's still pretty strong and for and it, it serves its purpose for for guys like you that immediately get what we're trying to do here it's kind of like a little wink and a nod absolutely to and if you're still with us and then then the real treat happens and then we start chopping these people's heads off and, <laughs> exactly and start to cringe as 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 a, as a director myself that that's 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 it if you're if you if you start to dislike these characters, then it's working. Yeah, you know these very bubbly in your face. We're so happy. That is just <laughs> recipe for disaster. <laughs> and the fact that you're so cringeworthy and you dislike these characters already, that means it's working. So bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. So you have a big uh, music background, um, but how the horror genre for you? I mean. Was growing up, were you a big fan of horror? Is this something that's just completely new for you based on everything else you've shot? I, like, do you have a you bunch know, of favorite horror films? Like, I, 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 I was lucky enough to remember the good parts of the 80s growing up in the 80s <laughs> and all the great parts of the 90s. I always thought any movie in the 80s and early 90s was a horror movie. Like, if you look at Terminator 2 compared to whatever Terminator bullshit is today, <laughs> just like these films just oozed with flavor and like blues and hues and just all these movies, like even Bill Nye, the science guy, their DP is better than any shit that you watch on PBS today. Like there was so much love put into every frame because all sorts of lights were doing all sorts of things. And even looking at PlayStation of before or Sega or Nintendo, all of these ads were just so full of life. And you look at today, everything's so sterile and, and PG and, and 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 Marvel and and Rogue One ish. I'm 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 going on a tr- on a whole rant here about. What I see this. I see hey, the theme. I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna jump in for that PG thing that you said right there because that reminded me of a question I'd like to ask you. So I oh, noticed yeah. I noticed this film chose not to show any nudity, even in places that you thought it might p- play in pay in homage that, to that, like those eighties. That was all Glenn's call, and more power to him. He he totally Will Smith the shit out of this movie. And <laughs> Made it for a wider like, audience. It's unrated. I'm like, there's like three fuck you, maybe a nipple. Like, <laughs> 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 like it was so tough. Like, the, 
like what a perfect example when Pitchfork is just going at it and he's going at the camera and there's blood splattering. <laughs> yeah. That original shot was just Pitchfork doing something. And I I always had to tell Glenn, dude, more blood. Just let me have it. Just for <laughs> That was the only time he started to let go. And I and, and it serves the film. But I, I kind of appreciate the fact that the movie for a horror film is very clean and not bloody. It's just the right amount of blood. And I always felt like, especially with a movie like this, that 95% of this movie is shot optically. Like all the lens flares, optical. Like and the only thing that was that was posed was a lot of the effects, a lot of the blood splatter, a lot of the foley, of course. But most of the stuff that you see is just clever light placement, clever covering of like uh, of a fixture with an elbow. It's just all hmm. silly theater pantomime tricks that I taught myself when I was a theater kid. And if you start talking to that to an actor, especially an actor like Daniel that completely loses himself into the into the role, mm -hmm. and he no longer responds to his human given name Daniel, which is such an amazing name, <laughs> he only responds to boy, and it was this weird, crazy high, like, like living the role between Glenn and and, and Daniel. That was a, a a very unique, much needed uh, connection. Uh, but yeah, I forgot what the original question was. I'm going to okay. shut up. <laughs> let, let, let me talk about the lighting for a second. Now you brought up again yes, with like please. covering the light with your the arm. So one amazing yes. shot was when the purse, the actress, um, the character who slept with the Amish person, when they yes. run into the cornfield right before the cornfield, it's very dark. And yet you see them both lit so well from a very high shot. So I don't know if that's a drone shot at night, but how are you lighting them too? That was that was that that shot took close to an hour because we kept moving that one construction light close enough, far enough to a point where the eye would immediately forgive it, thinking it's just the moon. But that really that beam of light, that kind of soft light you see across the cornfield is that one construction light. And what inspired that construction light was my commute from PlayStation to the city in San Francisco. It's a 40 minute commute. And there's always this one dark spot in the commute in South San Francisco. But these Massive construction lights have this beautiful glow and you just drive by and you just feel like you're driving through a car commercial, mm. especially when it was raining. It was just like, damn, I feel cool. So I'm <laughs> like, we need two of those. And those things, were, I'm not even kidding you, those things were like $90 a day. And mm -hmm. that was just like a life, that was the bloom. That was that was the bloom we used in the, in, in the forest. Like we basically had everyone that can just grab a fog machine, just make a lap, call action, and then that light would kick in and would have this bloom and that it will only last for about 15 seconds because then the vlog would dissipate mm -hmm. and then we use the God rays. But yeah, man, it was basically just a lot of trickery and a lot of MacGyvering, which is what filmmaking should be. <laughs> well, well done. Yeah, I appreciated that. Yeah, really yeah, nice job. Thanks, um, dude. You know, I... <laughs> I don't know where else to go from here, but I, you know, Ray, this has been just such a great conversation. Right I, th on, man. I think uh, we got a lot uh, out of you for this, and I think our audience is going to really dig, you know, your attitude and and your right passion for for filmmaking. So we really appreciate you coming on. Um, did you have another question? Uh, yeah, Mike? I do have another question. Just it. I want to um, comment on the music. So I noticed sure. the music was written by, um, was it Christy Bue, I think, and yes. sang by Danielle, Danielle Bue, but very eerie. I mean, I like the placement of the music, and I know that you're in that industry also. So was that something that was important to you, getting the right As music? As a matter of fact, this is, there's, this is a great question to end on. Christy Bue did an amazing job with the soundtrack, with the original score, and Christy and Glenn and the Bue sisters have been friends for a lot longer than Glenn and I have been, uh, and they met through like his relationships through Disney. So again, he he essentially, you know, 
called up an old friend and and pulled the favor and created I feel like great moments through music and that really really helped move the scene along. I think she did an amazing job. Ironically enough, I was originally pumped to do the score to to Pitchfork. You know, I'm working on this other project called Murder Palace and Murder Palace essentially is my 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 Pitchfork, my dream baby. Uh, and I wanted to start teasing Murder Palace into Pitchfork because Glenn, Glenn and I always talk about how Murder Palace and Pitchfork exist in each other's reality, where if you watch a Murder Palace film, you'll see, you'll see Pitchfork on the TV, but if you, if you watch a Pitchfork film, you'll, you'll spot like a Murder Palace song. So the original vision as I was shooting this was, well, I'm going to let this scene play out because here I'm going to go bup, 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 musically. So I was essentially writing the score while I was shooting this. So in many ways, it was very painful to see me just let the film go because it took me about four months of like falling in and out of love with this film. And Glenn, bless his heart, was so patiently waiting for me to just give him a rough cut. And I refused to have him sitting, sitting by my side because I literally, him and I slept in the same bed for 30 days and 30 nights. It's just like, imagine having the worst and best relationship with the best husband or wife mm -hmm. and then having the biggest fight and then having to go to bed with this person and then <laughs> having to lay there because you can't fall asleep because you just had a fantastic or awful shoot. So our relationship honestly was a little strain after this and it was necessary. It was a necessary evil. So it took me a bit to reconnect with the film. I had to walk away from the movie for about 30 days and reconnect with the film and kind of familiarize myself in about three months, I was able to deliver a rough edit of what the movie looks like on the script. I couldn't, at that point, jump into music mode. I was so fed up with this film, I needed to just walk away from it. Because everything that I was going to make was going to be like, fuck you, fuck you. It, it was terrible. <laughs> so having a completely fresh ear, no pun intended, would have, it served the movie its purpose. But what's amazing to that is, is that I know that I shot a fucking movie with nothing. Now I can do more of these. And maybe they don't need to be 90-minute films. They can be 10-minute films. And these 10-minute films that look like Pitchfork, that I sh that I and shoot them the same way I did sh shot Pitchfork, Pitchfork. I can shoot these 10-minute movies now, and put them on my Patreon page, and you know, and and have episodic content, and and basically say, you know, if you think this scene sucks, well, tell me because we're gonna change it now for episode two. Mm -hmm. We're basically organically now, hopefully, crossing fingers going to start producing episodic content under the Murder Palace, you know, um, name. And the video content we're producing will look like Pitchfork, but will be episodic and will be very much in line. If a music video and Black Mirror had a baby, <laughs> that's what Murder Palace is. And cool. that's what's really exciting. The fact that you both just oozed, I'm just like, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's like Westworld. I'm like, fuck Westworld. Like video games, I've done the Westworld story a hundred times better a million years ago. And if you guys love Westworld, more power to you, but I do mm -hmm. not. <laughs> now, Black Mirror, oh, Black Mirror is so good. It's like watching a twisted metal scene come to life. And twisted that was metal. so oh, <laughs> Twisted metal. Like, I'm like, I want Sweet Tooth to be one of these episodes. I want these <laughs> moralizing stories that prove a good point to come to life. And I'm like, there needs to be a new Twilight Zone. There needs to be something fresh. And it ain't Scream Queens. It's it's American <laughs> horror story, and that's where Murder Palace comes from. It's 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 a mark. It's American horror story meets Black Mirror meets yeah. a Britney Spears music video, and we're gonna do that through the power of cosplay, through the power of gaming, and through the power of music. So that's that's what's next for me. So hopefully that works out. So Ray, 
Thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time. Uh, wish you all the best with Pitchfork. Uh, we're fans, so we hope everybody goes and checks it out. Ray, you, you want to so- you want to give everybody a quick like where they can find you online, where they can find Pitchfork, and all that good stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My personal Twitter account is the Crown Killer, and my band uh, production company is Murder Palace on Twitter. Just just Google me, you'll find me. I'm the dude with the tattoos, big hair. Uh, and thank you so much for your time, guys. You guys thank killed you. it. Thank it's you a pleasure so to talk to you, and we wish you future success. Right on, man. Thank you.